You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with disturbing allegations of racism and possible negligence in this province. The victim says he was singled out and viciously beaten because of the color of his skin. Now his family claims the RCMP has failed to properly investigate the incident. A warning, some of the pictures in the story may be tough to look at. Sarah McDonald joins us from Kamloops with the exclusive details. Sarah. Was it a racially motivated attack or a pub brawl? That is the question pitting the RCMP against the family of a young BC man, brutally beaten in Kamloops earlier this month. All the scars from in the cement there. And the worst of his wounds, inflicted by forceful, repeated blows to the head, are healing. Stitched up on my eyelid right here, five stitches on my left eye. But the scars remain, vivid and lasting reminders for Jonathan Hall and his family. They're horrific, you know, and... Um Sorry. And it's hard to believe, you know, he survived. Every day when he wakes up, he has to look in the mirror and be reminded that he was a victim of a hate crime. That's how Hall and a witness describe the violent assault that spilled into the streets outside this Kamloops nightclub. The aggressors, two white men, allegedly hurling racial slurs at Hall before and during the altercation. Oh yeah, racial slurs, the N-word was there, um, darkie. I get thrown down to the ground and then I just get repeatedly like kicked, like uh, kicked in the head and just get profusely get called the n-word and stuff like that. But Hall's mother, a Florida-based law enforcement officer, says responding RCMP members failed to recognize her son's assault as a racially motivated crime, neglecting even to document his injuries. Before we leave, I was asking any of the officers if they needed to take any pictures. None of them did anything. Uh, they just made me go on to the ambulance. The paramedic driving it eventually did, according to Hall, taking these photos before transporting him to hospital. That kind of just let me know whether they thought of the issue. They probably didn't see it as a hate crime. Kamloops RCMP confirming it is investigating the incident as a fight between two suspects. One of them, Hall, insisting its members are well-versed and extensively trained in dealing with racially sensitive situations. We deal with these issues on a regular basis. We deal with cultural issues. We deal with racial issues. But this officer says her son has so far been failed. I don't want there to be another family, another mother that has to get that phone call that their son was beaten for the color of his skin. Speaking out now in a personal quest for justice. RCMP tell us this investigation is still open and active. They are looking to speak with anybody with information on that altercation. Chris Sophie asked for the accuser and his family. They say they won't stop seeking answers and justice until charges are laid. All right, Sarah McG uh, McDonald in Kamloops, thank you. RCMP have released a composite sketch of a suspect in an assault near Simon Fraser University on Burnaby Mountain. Take a look. Police are hoping someone will recognize this man. On Sunday evening, a 19-year-old woman was walking on a trail just north of University Drive when she noticed a man following her, then trying to engage in conversation. The man is then alleged to have grabbed her hand. The victim pulled away and ran to a parking lot near Horizons Restaurant. Police are hoping someone can help identify the man. They're also interested in speaking with two women who helped the victim shortly after the incident occurred. A police investigation into alleged drug trafficking has resulted in the seizure of firearms, drugs and vehicles. 
Here are just some of the items seized when a search warrant was executed at a home on Princess Avenue in Chilliwack earlier this month. A loaded shotgun, modified handguns, two crossbows, along with drugs believed to be fentanyl and cash. Mounties have now forwarded a report to the B.C. Prosecution Service for consideration of charge approval. And tips from the public have helped RCMP arrest two teenage suspects in connection with a series of fires involving little libraries in Coquitlam. Eleven community book exchange boxes were set on fire between March 20th and May 18th of this year. A 19- and 17-year-old, both from Port Coquitlam, have been arrested and released on a promise to appear in court in October. Each is facing a charge of arson causing damage to property. RCMP say the investigation is not over and more charges are possible. Well, for the first time at the Andrew Barry murder trial, testimony from a witness who heard noises coming from Barry's apartment on the same day his two young daughters were killed. The woman lived just above Barry and knew him. Romina Dea was there for the riveting testimony. Christmas Day 2017, around 8 o'clock in the morning, Andrew Barry's neighbor, Valley Travers, told the jury she heard a loud thump or thud. She assumed Barry's daughters, four-year-old Aubrey and six-year-old Chloe, were awake. I was hearing real loud crashing. It was like a bookcase coming down. I didn't hear voices. The floor, the walls, the windows, everything would move in the building. Travers testified she did not hear screaming. She was concerned, but at the same time thought the girls might be building a fort. She said the banging continued for about an hour, then everything went quiet. Hours later, around 5 p.m. after police arrived, Travers told the jury, I heard a really loud crash below me. I heard yelling, multiple voices, get down, get down. I heard Andrew's voice crying out. It was like a wail. I thought I heard the words, girls. The children were found dead in their beds, very badly injured, naked in the bathtub. In the months and days leading up to Christmas morning, Travers testified Barry was having problems. She said he won $100,000 gambling and lost it a week later. Travers said Barry told her his ex was out to destroy him and she wanted 100% custody. Travers testified Barry asked for food for the girls and money. It appears defense is attempting to puncture holes in Travers' credibility and reliability. Her testimony inconsistent with statements she made to Crown just yesterday. Travers confident, however, in the fact she told police Barry would never hurt his girls. He lived for them. Romina Dea, Global News. Today marked day one of a four-day public inquiry trying to get to the bottom of B.C.'s high gas prices. Four big oil and gas companies are scheduled to speak, including Parkland, who today deflected blame. Ted Trinecki has more on why they say it's not their fault. Well, day one of this inquiry heard from experts talking about whether or not there is retail price fixing in B.C. But an economist brought in by Parkland Refinery suggested this marketplace is actually quite competitive because there are so many independent gas stations. Of the 1,200 gas stations throughout B.C., about half of them have no direct affiliation with big oil. 
He says if there was so-called cartel pricing, once the price was set, it would stick there. But it doesn't because so many independent stations start to seek better market share and lower the prices. Now, this is testimony that skeptics of this whole inquiry are going to find hard to believe. This gas inquiry is a bit of a farce because John Horgan has said they're not allowed to talk about the supply through the pipeline and they're not allowed to talk about taxes. And those are the two major issues that drive up the price of gasoline. So this inquiry is a political game being played by the NDP. As for what is driving up prices in B.C., Dr. Henry Kowati out of Washington, D.C., suggests it's B.C.'s higher taxes, it's B.C.'s higher carbon pricing policies, it's higher wages here, and higher real estate. And there's also a supply issue. Only about 30% of refined petroleum in B.C. is actually refined here, 25% in Burnaby and 5% in Prince George. The rest, about 25%, comes from Washington State and all the rest from Alberta. And it was noted here today that the Trans Mountain Pipeline is at capacity, so moving that refined product from Alberta to here is costly via truck and rail. But the really big issue still to come is refining margins, and that's yet to be heard in any meaningful way here at the Commission, but it will be. Ted Chernecki, Global News, in Vancouver. And Keith Baldry is live with more on this. Keith, the big companies pointed taxes as a big mm -hmm. part of the problem, but as we heard in uh, Ted Chernecki's story, Taxes are not up for discussion at the inquiry. Yes, and that was a direct order from the NDP government when they gave the terms of reference to the BC Utilities Commission. They were pointedly told, do not look at taxes and do not look at government policy. Now, John Horgan making the argument over and over again, he did it again today. We already know what the taxes are. There's no need to spend more time looking at them. Uh, it's 35 cents a litre, roughly, is what we pay in taxes to various levels of government and various services, including transit, a point the Premier made again today. There's no mystery that there's taxation at the pump. Politicians uh, are those who are here today and those who have been here before me. We did not, we raised the carbon tax one cent a litre this year and uh, there's been a 40 cent spike in a litre over a weekend. So it's not about taxation, although people can quibble about that and we are accountable as elected representatives for taxation. What we don't see any accountability around is these wild fluctuations, oftentimes way out of whack for other major cities in Canada. So if you want to get more detailed information on what the gas companies are saying, what the reasons are for high taxes, go to the BC Utilities Commission uh, website, go to their inquiry page, and they've got every submission from the gas companies answering 29 questions over exactly how oil is brought into BC, how gasoline is brought into BC, where it goes, how much it costs, and what the cost drivers are. It makes for some interesting reading, not necessarily saying it's all correct, but we'll see if they uh, take some questions on the stand in that inquiry in the next three days and back up their assertions of what actually goes into the price of gas in B.C. All right, thanks for that, Keith, and Victoria for us. B.C.'s Attorney General is suing the District of West Vancouver over a broken promise. It was made by a couple or made to a couple who donated their property to the district when they passed away on the promise that the property would be turned into a park. But decades later, that's never happened. And it might never happen. Catherine Urquhart tells us what the district wants to do with it now. The views are spectacular from this property in West Vancouver. It spans one acre in Dunderave, assessed at $8.4 million. And now, 
is at the center of a lawsuit by the Attorney General against the District of West Vancouver. To see uh, you know, the, the provincial government uh, taking another level of government to court for failing to fulfill their obligations under this uh, trust that was created is unusual, there's no doubt about it. The double lot property on Roseberry Avenue was owned by Pearlie and Clara Noreen Brissenden. In 1990, they bequeathed it to the district for a public park. That park didn't happen. Then in 2017, the district asked the courts for permission to subdivide part of the property into three lots, proceeds used to buy more public waterfront land. That would see uh, Brissenden Park, a room, par part of it remain as park, while part of the land could be sold. Um, and we, we did not make this application just off the cuff. We held ex uh, a thorough public consultation. The Attorney General's notice of civil claim alleges the district rented the house that used to exist on the property, bringing in more than $498,000. No, the, the district does not agree with that characterization. The district's a public body. We operate on a non-profit basis. Our, our park system operates on a non-profit basis. In a statement today, the provincial government said, the Ministry of Attorney General's role in these types of matters is to protect the charitable purpose of the trust. West Vancouver received a property from Mr. and Mrs. Brissenden in trust to be used and maintained as a public park. It also has a real chilling effect if you're thinking about doing the same thing. What happens next for the land lawsuit? The municipality says it hasn't even been served with the Attorney General's notice of claim. So for now at least, West Vancouver is not preparing a defense. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Police thought they had found their man, but it turns out a 61-year-old man who's been missing for more than three weeks is actually still missing. Vancouver police still need your help to find David Sullivan. He has dementia and diabetes and was last seen June 27th in the area of Gore and Alexander Street. Sullivan was captured on surveillance video in the same area June 29th. At that time, he was wearing a red and white checkered shirt and brown pants and carrying a blue gym bag. Anyone who sees Mr. Sullivan should call 911 and remain with him until help arrives. Some breaking news now from Vancouver City Hall, where council has just unanimously passed a motion allowing car-to-go and other car share services to use metered spaces. Right now, car share vehicles can only park in zones reserved for resident permit parking. The changes allow drivers to leave their vehicles at a metered space when they're done with it and park for free for up to two hours while they're renting. The car share company would pay the parking fees. No word yet on exactly when the changes will take effect. All right, it's impossible to see the future of a big city like Vancouver, but there is a way to shape it, and that starts with a major public consultation that the city is undertaking this fall. Municipal leaders say it's an opportunity for residents to define what kind of city Vancouver becomes over the next 30 years. But Nadia Stewart explains why developing the plan will be a struggle. So we're going to start by listening to citizens. Vancouver City Councilors unveiled the first step in their big citywide plan. They say public consultation will be front and centre. If the public looks like they are really wanting to see a heading in a different direction on something, that's what the plan is about, to listen to the people and take that direction. 
because together we could do something that's amazing and unheard of. And I think that's what we want to see is what is the city going to look like? We're asking everyone to be involved. Council voted unanimously in favor of developing the plan. It's meant to tackle many aspects of city life, including social, environmental and cultural, everything from the Oppenheimer tent city to the viaducts and bike lanes, as well as transportation, housing and land use. This plan is a great chance to rebuild some trust between residents uh, across the city. And so I'm hopeful that as we hear from more voices, we can build empathy about the way that the housing crisis is impacting different communities. The plan is a massive undertaking and not without its challenges. That really is perhaps the concern is that there might be some of these decisions that weren't necessarily developed in that environment of trust. And I think that that's really where the challenges are. SFU professor Andy Yan says trust in the public engagement process is something this new council will have to be intentional about. He says this plan presents opportunities to revisit some decisions. But one key concern is trying to glean opinions from a public who don't have deep enough roots in Vancouver to kind of ensure that they're aware of both the past and present. Because otherwise, it just becomes a, a, a kind of cacophony of a collected series of opinions. And then there's the question of how those decisions are filtered as final decisions are made. That part of the process is still a few years away. First up is public consultation. That starts this fall. Nadia Stirk, Global News. Right now, though, a scary situation along the Barnett Highway recently when a large tire comes flying off a backhoe, and it was all caught on video. Jill Bennett has more on the near miss and just how close this came to being a tragedy. There was nothing to suspect that anything was going to go wrong. But just seconds later, the wheel on this backhoe flies off. Jay Lerig was headed to work Tuesday morning. His dash cam caught the incident as he turned onto the Barnett Highway. What was really kind of concerning after the fact was that that pedestrian and what could have happened, like that could have been tragic. That wheel was easily, I would say, easily 200 pounds. In the video, you can see a pedestrian on the sidewalk facing away from the backhoe, seemingly unaware of what's happening. The wheel then goes airborne and narrowly misses him. You could kind of gauge how far that came from the pedestrian. I would say like inches. In a statement, Port Moody's GM of Engineering and Operations says at this time the incident appears to be due to a mechanical failure involving an internal component. But our investigation is ongoing as we work to determine the exact cause. The statement also says each piece of equipment undergoes daily inspections and steps will be taken to ensure a similar incident doesn't happen again. Within minutes of losing the tire, the backhoe operator was able to stabilize the machine and get out of the way. Something Lerag says was incredible to watch. This guy's a champ. Like, this thing is, you know, he, he really corrected himself. As for Lee Reg, it's a morning commute. He won't soon forget. And if the wheel kicked back, you know, it would have hit me or it would have hit the pedestrian. You know, I was really thinking about how lucky we are. Jill Bennett, Global News. We now know what caused a hazmat emergency at a Surrey recycling plant yesterday. And it's a lesson for all of us to be more careful about what we throw in our blue box. That's right. The company Cascades Recovery says a forklift driver was moving bales of paper when he ran over a full canister of bear spray that someone put in their recycling. That caused a small explosion that released the gas and sent two workers to hospital. They say it's a reminder that hazardous materials do not belong in curbside recycling. 
The NDP government is moving to protect more ancient trees in B.C., but like almost anything to do with forests in this province, not everyone is happy. The forest minister says more than 50 of B.C.'s largest trees will be protected, along with the trees around them. But as Kylie Stanton reports, environmental groups say it's just a start. They've been here for centuries, standing strong. And yet, so many of British Columbia's old-growth trees have never been so vulnerable. 10.7 meters. But finally, they're getting some of the protection they need. These trees represent an important part of BC's natural heritage, and British Columbians have said they want them preserved. The government is calling it the first step in a new approach to old-growth management, identifying 54 trees from the University of British Columbia's Big Tree Registry that meet the criteria for protection. On top of that, each one will be surrounded by a one-hectare grove, acting as a buffer zone. With a grove like that, larger than a soccer pitch uh, around the tree, uh, then that tree has a better chance of uh, surviving. There were six to ten foot wide cedars and Douglas firs. Still, it may be too late for some, like the iconic tree, Big Lonely Doug. It's uh, really a colossal giant. But advocates say... It's a start. We welcome the fact that this kicks off uh, a, a bigger, more comprehensive strategy to protect old growth forests in British Columbia. And so I'm hopeful that this process leads to some legislative uh, changes. Save the earth, save our home. Last month, a day of action initiated by environmentalists was meant to highlight the plight while calling on government to live up to its election promises. There are limits. Now, as part of this announcement, it's launching an independent panel in the fall of this year, with recommendations expected in the spring. But time is precious. We should not delay and we need action for thousands of hectares across the province to make sure that uh, we protect the web of life as we know it. For government, it's not that cut and dry. Instead, it must strike a balance between protecting old growth, protecting industry and jobs. At the end of the day, our forests are here for the benefit of everyone. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver's most famous crow now has a new distinction. Canuck the crow has become well known around the city for his affinity for humans and for notoriously stealing a knife from a crime scene. His main human friend, Sean Bergman, has announced that Canuck is now a federally protected crow, wearing a numbered band that identifies him as a wild bird and not a pet. That's in addition to the red band that he wears to identify himself to his wow. many fans. Um. <laughs> basically, if he's ever found uh, basically using the phone number and the number on the band to find out who he is and basically give him that extra safety because with just the orange band, if somebody found him and didn't know about Canuck, it would be easy enough for them to just, well, whatever could happen to Canuck, but. <laughs> Now, it's believed Canuck is the first crow to get this designation. The new band also puts him on the North American database for birds. Pretty special bird, no doubt about it. Well, here's something that'll make car lovers cringe. Soaked vehicles had to be lifted by crane off Highway 401 in Toronto after flash flooding swept through the area. Heavy rain dropped up to 80 millimeters of rain in six hours. Highways and homes were flooded, and a shoreline hazard warning remains in effect until Thursday. 
A Canadian man took center stage in Washington, D.C. today to tell American lawmakers about his unimaginable personal tragedy. Toronto's Paul Giroge, who lost his wife, three children and mother-in-law in the Ethiopian Airlines crash, told a government committee the crash is Boeing's fault and he's urging them to make sure it doesn't happen again. Paul Giroge came to Washington from Toronto to speak directly to members of Congress, those who are investigating the Boeing 737 MAX jet, how it was certified and whether it should fly again. It is you who must be the leaders in this fight, in this fight for aviation safety in the world. Giroge's wife, three children and mother-in-law were all killed in the crash of an Ethiopian airline 737 before the planes were grounded worldwide. He told Congress to hold Boeing accountable. He's calling for mandatory simulator training for pilots, not the iPad training Boeing has suggested. And he wants to know why the plane maker didn't inform pilots about the MCAS anti-stall system, which is believed to be responsible for the Ethiopian Airlines crash and the crash of a Lion Air jet in Indonesia. They should adhere to, their fundament, to what should be their fundamental responsibility, and that is to manufacture and deliver safe planes. If they can do that, then I'll feel that uh, they've done something to help the public. Giroge says to this date he has not heard directly from Boeing, but while he was speaking to Congress, the company announced a new $50 million fund for the families of victims of both crashes. The company has hired a compensation expert to manage the fund. Giroge says that brings him little comfort after everything he has lost. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington. Mexican drug lord Joaquin Guzman, better known as El Chapo, has been sentenced to life in prison. Guzman spent 25 years trafficking billions of dollars worth of drugs. He was eventually captured and extradited to the U.S. after a series of prison escapes and a manhunt that lasted decades. It's expected he will be sent to a supermax prison in Colorado, but defense lawyers say they will appeal. A bombshell in Boston today with prosecutors dropping indecent assault and battery charges against Oscar-winning actor Kevin Spacey. The case fell apart after the accuser invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination and refused to testify about text messages on his cell phone. Prosecutors dropping charges against actor Kevin Spacey, something his attorney called for in court last week. This case needs to be dismissed, and I believe it needs to be dismissed today. The state of Massachusetts dropping a Nantucket case due to the unavailability of the complaining witness. That witness, a young man who was 18 when he worked as a busboy at this Nantucket restaurant. His mother told me in 2017 that Spacey assaulted her son. It wasn't until Kevin Spacey put his hand inside his pants that he really knew he was in trouble. You say he didn't consent to that? Absolutely not. The teen sent a Snapchat video of the alleged incident to his girlfriend and texted with friends. But last week at a hearing, his attorney said after police reviewed the phone, it went missing. Your Honor, we could not locate the phone. Spacey's attorney asked if the accuser had deleted messages. I don't believe so, he said. But his mother later admitted she did delete some content. At the hearing, the alleged victim stopped answering questions, asserting his right against self-incrimination. If you turn any evidence in, and in this case it was electronic, in furtherance of a criminal investigation, and you altered it, that in and of itself is a crime. 
The accuser's attorney saying tonight, my client and his family have shown an enormous amount of courage under difficult circumstances and had no further comment. No comment either from Kevin Spacey. Well, Spacey still faces other accusations of sexual misconduct and investigations in Los Angeles and London. In health matters tonight, a new primary care center announced for East Vancouver. The provincial government says the REACH Urgent and Primary Care Center will open on Commercial Drive in early August, and it's expected to be fully operational by October. It'll provide care for more than 37,000 patients per year. For too many people, accessing the system has been a challenge over the past number of years, and that's what we're setting about to change today. So I'm very proud to announce that REACH will become the second urgent primary care centre in Vancouver, the 10th in British Columbia, right here on Commercial Drive, right here in East Vancouver, providing urgent care to people who need it, when they need it, making sure that healthcare outcomes are as positive as mine were over a decade ago. Get to the right place, find the right provider, get the healthcare you need. That's our motto going forward and I'm so proud to be here at REACH to announce that today. All these whales just came out of the ocean and just beached themselves. People along the Atlantic coast of Georgia scrambled to save a group of pilot whales from stranding themselves. About 30 of the whales were trying to swim ashore, but beachgoers, lifeguards and wildlife workers pushed them back towards the water. Three of the whales died. The others are being closely monitored just offshore. Pilot whales are often involved in mass strandings, partly due to their social nature. Milo, the puppy born with upside-down paws, is back home tonight. And wait till you see him now. That's coming up after the forecast. We'll check in with Christy Gordon, who joins us right now. And, uh, yeah, that rain rolled jaws, rolled in just as you had forecast. Yes, and we'll talk about that in a second. First, I have to show you some incredible video. If we can show me some script, that would be awesome, guys. Uh, so, yeah, have a look at this video that we saw of a fire whirl or a fire tornado in Washington State. Take a look. It happened on Sunday in a 2,000 hectare power line fire, which threatened homes and businesses. Now, the fire was so intense that the combination of that rising heat and the turbulent winds in the area that day caused the fire to actually spin like a tornado. It sucked up debris and embers, and it was quite a sight, as you can see there. Meanwhile, across our region, we didn't have tornadoes, but we did have severe thunderstorms today. And look at this video from the McLeese Lake area. It looks like snow on on the, on the uh, road there, all of that hail. Thank you to Erica for sharing that video with us. We had an, a very active day with a very intense band that moved across Highway 97. Uh, you can see that there's now a number of thunderstorms developing again in the Quinell-Williams Lake area. We don't have any severe thunderstorms right now, but we are still watching them. What you can expect is lightning, certainly. You want to head indoors, keep yourself protected. Uh, we'll see possible hail as well as downpours of rain and then gusty winds as well. These will likely die down in the next couple of hours. Meanwhile, we had heavy rain across our region uh, last night and through the morning hours. Things will ease off, but we're still dealing with unsettled conditions. Here's how much rain, though, we saw. North Shore Mountains up to 50. Westwood Plateau seeing that 50. Sorry, North Shore seeing up to about 27. So an incredible amount of rain. And just to give you perspective, at the airport, 
seven millimeters. We saw more in 24-hour period than we saw the entire month of July in 2017 and 2018. But that's putting us back to a near average uh, for the month, which is great news. That's what we want, everyone. As our climate changes, we'll see abnormal weather or uh, sort of extremes, and we want things to be back to normal. So this rain, unfortunately, is needed. Here's the south coast. We'll see some sunshine in the morning. Still a chance of showers tomorrow. Friday's our transition day and it looks sunny after there. All right, lovely. Thank you very much, Christy. Milo, an adorable coonhound puppy, was just five months old when he was surrendered to an Oklahoma animal rescue organization. His problem was obvious. A congenital elbow dislocation left his paws facing up and it made getting around almost impossible. Veterinarians took up the challenge and Milo underwent complicated corrective surgery involving pins that left him in a cumbersome cast for several weeks. And this is Milo now. After the surgery and a few months of rehabilitation, looks pretty good, doesn't he? Getting around pretty much as well as any dog. His human friends say he handled the whole thing much better than they did, and he never lost his spark. Oh, my goodness, that is the cutest Love it. thing ever. Love it. <laughs> I thought the pink casts were pretty fashionable, though. That's true. If you're going to have a cast, make it, make it a pink one. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. <laughs> it's a funny question. Go ahead, it say it. a funny question. It's a legitimate Are there question. No good teams, and by good, I mean winning teams in Vancouver right now. I don't want to come down on them all, but you know. Professionally, no. Aside from the Vancouver Titans, and we discussed Which that. We saw that. We saw, saw that yesterday. yesterday. Goodness for the Titans. Remember the Titans. Yes. Oof. You're not going to like this. Now, I could go on and on about the Vancouver Whitecaps, their lack of scoring, their lack of competitiveness, the fact that they have four wins in 21 matches and are dead last in the West. But my mother always told me, if you don't have anything nice to say, say nothing at all. Should I let these guys take it away? Sophie and Chris? No. Okay, I do get paid to report, so here's what happened tonight against New England. Tell you, Mother Nature was making some noise. This match was delayed 15 minutes. They thought about actually postponing because of thunder and lightning and have it played tomorrow. Max Crapo was outstanding in the opening half. They had 17 shots New England did, four on target in the opening half, and then they finally score in stoppage time. Just a screamer from Gustavo Bo. 1-0 New England. They would go on to score three more. 4-0 would be the final. This is the only bright spot for the season. 19-year-old Canadian Theo Bear came in, coming oh so close. But the Whitecaps are now winless in eight matches. 4 nothing. the final. Stage 11 of the Tour de France. Oh, something creative offered up on the countryside. What a finish today. Caleb Ewan going wheel-to-wheel with Dylan Gronwagen. Ewan didn't race in last year's Tour de France because he was left off his team. He watched it on TV. I think he'll be watching the highlights from today's race. He's going to remember this one for years to go. Photo finish victory. Julian Alaphilippe retains the yellow jersey. Michael Woods of Ottawa is your top Canadian. He sits 49th overall. Tough not to pick Rory McIlroy in your open championship pool. McIlroy practically teeing it up in his backyard. It's where he played a lot of his childhood golf. Royal Port Rush since he was a Port Rush, pardon me, since he was a young boy. He never dreamed, though, of contesting an open championship there. As a 16-year-old, he did set the course record, firing a 61. Crowds are going to be massive this week. They're expecting a quarter of a million people to attend the open championships, and the majority of them cheering for their hometown boy.
you know, I remember when Rory shot that 61, you know, we'd, we'd heard the rumours of this young kid. You're always like, well, there's always a young kid. But, uh, when, you know, I remember when he shot the 61, I was like, hold on a minute. That's that's a serious score, you know. So maybe this young kid is for real, for real. And uh, obviously he is for real. So we, we were right. Um, so Porosh has been a very big, you know, at least the golf club um, has been a, a big part of my upbringing. And, uh you know, I'm. It's sort of surreal that it's here. Uh, even driving in yesterday, you know, and you look, on, you're coming in on the road, and you look to the right, and you've got the second tee. And I think, like, I don't know who was teeing off. It might have been like Tony Finau and someone else. So I'm like, sort of strange to see them here. Um, but it's really cool. It just sort of shows um, what we've done in terms of players. Um, you know. GMAC winning the US Open, Darren winning the Open, and then, you know, the, some of the success that I've had, uh, and how, you know, Northern Ireland has come on as a country that, you know, we're able to host such a big event here again. The Vancouver Canucks are getting in the game as in EA Sports NHL 19 video game mode. Canucks hosting their first ever Chell Challenge. Ages from 13 and up are invited to enter the video game tournament. Grand prize is the opportunity to play NHL 20 with a Canucks player along with a VIP experience at an upcoming regular season game. It's all part of the organization reaching out into a different community in the hopes of adding to Canucks Nation. I mean, at Canucks Sports and Entertainment, fan engagement is our top priority, and we really see this as a great vehicle to connect with a young, diverse, you know, highly engaged uh, generation. Um, and you know, hopefully, we can connect them to becoming the next, you know, wave of Canucks fans. Doc, it doesn't get any more intense than this. If you're Canucks Sports and Entertainment, why would you not marry gamers with the game itself? Come August, the Canucks are hosting their first ever EA Sports NHL 19 tournament. It's officially called the Canucks Chell Challenge. Chell being gamers lingo for NHL. So to be able to partner with the Canucks to put on an NHL tournament, um, you know, for us at the gaming stadium is really exciting. Whenever the Canucks get behind something, the community really rallies around it. So uh, that obviously causes a huge difference in the amount of people that sign up. Within 24 hours of announcing the Canucks Chell tournament, 70% of the spots available for the four qualifying events were snapped up. The eight players advancing from those tournaments qualifying for the Canucks Chell Challenge Finals held at Richmond's Gaming Stadium, the only facility of its kind in all of Canada. You know, that, that fandom and that connection to the sport that you see is one that's so real. Um, and we do see that as the opportunity to, you know, grow that fandom and create this new, unique experience. The finals here at the Gaming Stadium will feature the top eight total. The whole day will be broadcast live on Twitch. Every match will be on our feature stage. Um, and we'll have, you know, pro play-by-play -play commentators calling the action. Vancouver is quickly becoming a hotbed in the esports world. And with all the, the early success we've had with the Vancouver Titans, uh, we thought the timing was perfect. Coming up on ET Canada, pop stars on the big screen with Beyonce talking Lion King and Taylor Swift talking Cats. Plus, big turn here, Jennifer Lopez steals from the rich as a stripper in her new crime drama. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. For now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. I'm not sure what J-Lo is up to, but uh, <laughs> they'll be discussing it after this program. Sure. All right, so millions of people jumped right into the FaceApp Challenge using a program that allows you to digitally age yourself and then share the photos online. Well, you'd want to do that, but as entertaining as it is, Aaron MacArthur reports security experts are raising some serious red flags, saying there is a wrinkle you probably didn't think about.
That's is. not you. Yeah, that is. <laughs> That's you? Yeah. <laughs> this is what FaceApp does. The aging challenge, turning everyone into octogenarians with the click of a button and some heavy algorithm. FaceApp exploded this week. More than 100 million downloads worldwide. People everywhere jumping on the viral bandwagon. Let me take a picture. And he took a picture of me and he showed me. I'm like, oh, that looks just like my dad. <laughs> what do you look like when you're 30 years older? I didn't think 30 years. I think 50 years. <laughs> While it's a fun 20 seconds, there are lasting consequences for uploading your photos. FaceApp's terms of service are typical of the social media world, and much of the data people provide is being collected and stored with no clear idea of what it intends to do with the information. The majority of people aren't inclined to figure out what they're consenting to when they click that button. So within that, getting people to understand in very layperson terms how the information may be used, when it will be deleted, that's the bigger issue that I think we can see with any app that becomes a viral sensation. With an election in Canada in 2019 and in the U.S. next year, there are fears of tampering. FaceApp created by a Russian programmer. Already, Democrats in the U.S. warning supporters to stay off. Well, it's a Russian bot, right? <laughs> I think regardless of who made the app, though, you could, you could be concerned about that regardless. Honestly, anything that you post online, people can take, copy, reproduce. Like all internet viral outbreaks, this one will disappear as fast as it hit. The data people willingly giving to the company, though, will last forever. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Vladimir Putin. Mm. Kind of a mashup there, wasn't it? And no, the app does do male, female. Um, Have you guys tried it? No. No. Will you try it? Maybe no, no, not now. Yeah. I want to give all that information out there. I don't want to know yet anyway. I'm going to wait and see what I'm I already like when know I'm what I'm going to look like when I'm older. Not very good. Yeah. What? You <laughs> can't well, say that. <laughs> well, you're, you're going to look older. That. That's okay, though. Yeah. Okay? Uh, all right. Graceful aging. That's graceful right. aging, yeah. <laughs> we better end this show yeah. as gracefully yeah. as we can right now. Thank you very much for watching and have a good night. Good night, all.